In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In the year 988, Prince Vladimir, or if you prefer the Ukrainian pronunciation, Volodymyr, you've heard that comparison before, I'm sure, chose to be baptized. According to legend, he had sent envoys to Constantinople. They're the heart of the empire of Byzantium. And there they had been so struck by the liturgy of uh, the beauty of the church of Hagia Sophia. They were so moved by the orthodox liturgy that they heard in that space where they couldn't tell the difference between heaven and earth. They were so moved by all of this that they returned to Kiev and they told Prince Vladimir all about it. And his response was to be baptized. In fact, in that moment, Prince Vladimir, his family, his, his, his warriors, and all of their families were all baptized at the same time in the Dnieper River. And in that moment, many disparate tribes in that region were gathered suddenly into one cultural and religious identity. And now, according to the legend of each nation... That was the moment of birth for both Ukraine and Russia. In the Middle Ages, Mongols swept across the lands and laid waste to Kiev. And when Moscow eventually replaced it as the center of Slavic orthodoxy, they began there to see themselves as something new. They began to see themselves as Holy Rus a sacred people who were the defenders of true Christianity. According to John Burgess in the Christian century, the mythology of Moscow as the third Rome was thus born. Fast forward through the centuries, and where do we get? I think we all know exactly where, we, where that takes us. But, but before I get there, I want to do just a little bit more history. Because of their locations, the Kievan land became a borderlands through cultures influenced by so many cultural cultures around them, from Austro-Hungarian to Polish-Lithuanian to Russian. And so Ukrainian Christianity absorbed influences from all of these. And in, in fact, developed in a number of ways. In, in some places, the retaining Orthodox liturgy, but still looking to the Pope. In other places, remaining there, the, continuing uh, an Orthodox polity, but being centered on, the, on Ukraine rather than other places. But then, under the Soviet Union, all of those churches had to become Russian Orthodox or go underground, and it stayed that way until the early 1990s. Today, and this, this shocked me, a third of all churches that are loyal to the Moscow Patriarchate, which is their diocese, their bishop, a third of all churches who are loyal to that actually are in the territory of Ukraine and see themselves as being heirs of this idea of Holy Rus. So, it's messy. 
Okay, so now we're getting to the conflict today. In 2014, President Poroshenko and the Ukrainian parliament appealed to ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew in Istanbul, formerly Constantinople, to create, this is 2014, so yesterday, to, to create a Ukrainian Orthodox church with a patriarchate in Kiev. And that did happen in 2018. So this is part of a story that has been unfolding really over the last 10 or 15 years. But when this happened in 2018, right, just a couple years ago, this infuriated Vladimir Putin and the Moscow patriarch, who both cut off relations with the Istanbul patriarch Bartholomew. Are you following the maps here? And added this, added this to the list of reasons for war. So there is your history lesson for today. We might ask ourselves, is this why? Is this the reason for war? Is this the reason for so much suffering? Putin has clearly used religion as a warrant for invasion, arguing that Russia and Ukraine share one culture and one orthodox faith, and this is really just one way of, of reunion. The Ukrainians disagree, clearly. So do peace-loving people the world over, including Pope Francis, who just this week warned the Moscow patriarch about becoming, quote, Putin's altar boy. You hear that? We prefer the term acolyte, but you get the point. <laughs> Yet, for all the language of religion and culture, what we're seeing in real time is what wars of empire have always been about. Power and dominion. We can always find reasons for war that stir up our passions, whether it's religion, whether it's culture, whether it's heritage, whether it's lost cause, you name it, it's there for, it if we, for us if we want it. And yet these wars lead not to great civilizations, but to heartbreak and to mass graves. We are rightly asking whether Russia has committed war crimes. But it seems to me that the whole war is a crime. A crime against countless children of God who have lost everything. Who are losing everything. This morning... We hear from the book of Revelation. And, and thanks for those hymns. We're actually singing from the book of Revelation too. We progressive Christians now can have a little bit of an aversion to the book of Revelation, right? We always see that in the readings and we think, oh boy, not that again. Because it's, we, we remember it as being about raptures, right? And science fiction battles, which are, which are great for the movies, but not for scripture. And, and we're too smart for that stuff, right? Well, the thing about Revelation is that in some ways it is the most political book in the whole Bible because each of those demons and vile nasties that we read about 
in Revelation are about something. Each one corresponds to a real live figurehead who lived at the time. And so if revolution, revelations were written today, Putin would likely get a creature named after him. But it also speaks of a world transformed and a realization that the world that we hunger for is out of reach without the grace of God. Today we name how much we need a new heaven and a new earth because right now we are all in a codependent relationship with empire. And so we hunger for the new heaven once and for all to descend upon us and to usher in God's kingdom of love and compassion. We read this. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And the holy city, the new Jerusalem, came down out of heaven from God. The home of God was among mortals. And death will be no more. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There have been a lot of tears. Tears of war. The tears of another mass shooting yesterday. The tears of a million people. That's just America. A million people who have died from COVID. And all those who are grieving their loss. And if we think about building up the new Jerusalem, that, that does not sound like what we are seeing when we watch the news from Ukraine, does it? Where death is dealt out capriciously from the capital city of the third Rome. That's not the new Jerusalem. Let's not be fooled. That's just Rome doing what Rome has always done. And my friends, you cannot build the new Jerusalem with Roman bricks. You just can't do it. So this, this week I, I came across something that was written by a Quaker theologian from my, my hometown in Greensboro, North Carolina. The next time you're reading a history of Greensboro, uh, skip to the Quaker chapter because it's really interesting. Uh, there's a lot of our culture is shaped around a large Quaker population that had been there for centuries and so we had a, a big streak of cultural pacifism that went back to the Civil War right there in the heart of the South and it really changed that place. Anyway, does everybody know what a Quaker is? Right, yeah, a Quaker is an Episcopalian who can't find their hymnal. They're also deeply committed to peace and, and having known a lot of them, they are pretty much the best human beings you can be around. So, so this Quaker, Wes Daniels, calls today's passage from the book of Revelation a fierce diagnosis of the disease of empire. The holy city looks nothing like the capitals that we've created on earth through conquest or exploitation. The holy city, no matter how well we use the language of religion to mask our violence. 
The holy city isn't built on suffering and fear and the disregard, and disregard of human dignity. The holy city isn't hobbled by churches who let their state do their dirty work for them. The holy city is marked by the presence of God. Not judging or destroying, but healing and reconciling. The holy city is known by love and love alone. God's love for us and our genuine self-giving love for one another. This new Jerusalem cannot be built with human brick, with Roman bricks. The Roman bricks seem to be all that we know sometimes. Perhaps building the holy city is, in, is as much an act of unbuilding and dismantling as it is conquering or replacing. To West Daniels, the image of the new Jerusalem weaves together the old and the new in the face of what has been unmasked. It's the anti-image of the great city of Rome. Contrasting its splendor with God's city to help us resist its murderous power. It is a call to action. An unmasking of the falseness of empire so that we can resist the annexation of our own hearts. When empires are on the move, we must resist the annexation of our own hearts. When Jesus said to his disciples, love one another as I love you because this is how people will know me. When Jesus was saying that, he wasn't just telling them to, to love one another and be good to each other. He was telling them not to pick up Roman bricks no matter how tempting it may be. Think about this. This was at the Last Supper. Jesus knew that within the space of 24 hours, he would be executed. And his friends, because they are human, would want revenge. They would want an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus said, there will be no blood feuds in the kingdom of God. That's a Roman brick and it won't work. This is something different. This new commandment is what he gave them. A commandment to love one another. This was the very building material on which the new Jerusalem would rise. This was the building material on which a whole new understanding of human relationship was going to would come about. This would be a kingdom known not by smoldering tanks or bodies left behind in the street but by the simple and self-giving acts of love that bind us together as God's children. When we hear those words of Jesus, that mandate to love, when we envision the nearness of God in the new Jerusalem, wiping away our every tear, we are not so much freed from war and all of its heartache, Rather, we are liberated from its claim to truth and from its claim on our hearts. We know that we are made for something else. And we see it so much more clearly in moments like today when we witness the horrors of the war in Ukraine. And what we know is this. 
that we are a resurrection community known not for what we conquer, but for how we love. Amen.